Okay. Uh, well, let's go ahead and get going this morning. Let me open this with a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll take it uh, from there. Heavenly Father, thank you again for uh, each church represented in the room. Thank you for the opportunities that you provide us every day uh, to participate in your mission. And uh, I want to pray for the, uh, the provision of opportunity for all the churches in this room. Uh, and that our discussion today would be something that leads to some great opportunities going forward for each church here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, a couple of things. On this slide, uh, you will see my info. Uh, and if you want to stay in touch or you have any questions after the class is over, you can reach me at those uh, the following places. I don't, if you text me or anything on Instagram, I get that the least. Uh, I, I, I check Instagram fairly regularly, but I don't notice messages, the little icons kind of up and hidden so I don't see it as often. Uh, it's not uncommon for me to miss that uh, for a few days even before I see it. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, and Facebook. I'm there too, but I didn't know how to really represent that on there other than just go in and look for Tim Spivey and, and I'm in there. Um, if there's a way that I can be a blessing to your church, that would be great. I'm not able, in the season we're in for reasons that will probably become obvious. I'm not in a place where I can do a lot of on-site stuff for anybody. Usually I can, but I can't this year. Um, but if I can help you out by, by phone or if it's a super limited kind of thing, I'd be happy to, uh, to be a blessing to your church however we can. Now, most of the people that were in here, I see probably uh, two or three of you that are new. So I'm going to do a very brief walkthrough of yesterday. Um, I'm going to begin by showing you the, the, the computerized rendering of the exterior of this facility, okay, that I was mentioning yesterday. All right, so this is what it will look like when it's finished. This is on a corner in downtown Escondido, uh, the corner of Juniper and Grand. Right now, if you were to see it, you would see this right here is beat up and um, shabby. Right here is a one-story uh, ratty commercial building that's going right here. So what we're doing, as I talked about yesterday, is this is being fully restored to its uh, former glory. It was built in the 1930s. Uh, and has been out of business for almost two decades. It's, it's been shuttered. Uh, it's in such bad shape. In fact, there was a guy that had a heart attack behind the wheel of his truck that worked for an energy company in the area, and he drove his truck through the front door and all the way through the lobby. Uh, that made it even worse. So it's a complete, a complete and utter train wreck in there. So what you're going to see when this is finished is uh, this right here is the theater where the church will be uh, having its services. We'll be in here for the grown-ups. This, uh, this, these go up and down, this will be a coffee house kind of area that goes all the way through this kind of complex here. Um, down here will be all things kids. Up here on the second floor, there will be offices will be running that way on the second floor. This will be one big open studio kind of area that will have team uh, worship and stuff like that in there, and it'll double as a dance studio for uh, community groups. I also mentioned to you the rooftop lounge. You can see the top of that up there. So. Uh, you can go up to the top of that, and uh, we can either use it for church purposes, for fellowship, or uh, most of the time during the week, you can put live music up there, you can do rooftop cinema, you can do a whole bunch of, of things on the top of that roof. If you were to see the corner now, and you were going to compare it to what was put there then, you would be rather amazed uh, as to the transformation that's going on there. Okay. So again, it's kind of a grand experiment in a whole bunch of different uh, things. One is hospitality. Church is going to have to be at a point where it can go, hey, you know, we're ready to throw our arms open to the community. And basically, when I show up for work every day, have a building full of people that aren't Christians around all the time. So you have to be willing to do that. Uh, the other thing that, that it is is a, a coexistence thing. They have to be willing to put up with us because we're all going to be in one big happy family there on a day in and day out basis. Okay, so you have to be willing to do that. These were kind of the five things as we talked about recognizing opportunities that I've, I've kind of diagnosed as key ingredients to being able to see these kinds of things and what they can be. A life of blessability just means my life as best as I can. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It just means that I'm trying to follow Jesus. My life is clean. Our leadership has its hands clean. Uh, we're not dishonoring God through how we treat each other. There's not undisclosed sin in the camp that somebody's hanging on to, uh, that they're burying underneath the tent flap, so to speak that's causing God to find us unblessable or unworthy of those kind of opportunities. Uh, a spirit of expectation, we spent a while uh, talking about that. That is just simply this idea that I believe that God can provide these opportunities to our church. Uh, and I expect that he's going to do that. So instead of me walking around uh, kind of focusing on what's happening here, I'll be using the illustration of the Dancing Gorilla video where, where the people, you know, you're watching the people juggle 
and meanwhile the dancing gorilla goes through, but you didn't see him because you weren't looking for a dancing gorilla. Um, it's learning to almost expect the dancing gorilla to come through the, the video. They're walking around going, okay, we, we think that God wants to do something great with our church, uh, and so we are going to maintain uh, that spirit of expectation. We think God is going to bless our church richly. Um, we talk about it then the posture of readiness. That means when he does, we're going to be ready to respond. So that means we're going to be organizationally agile. We're going to structure ourselves in such a way that when an opportunity comes our way, we're going to be able to pounce on it. Uh, I told you that you know, these are two historic downtown buildings that were zoned specifically against religious use. From the time that we, I walked in the first time to see the theater, okay, so there's that to the time that we bought the buildings, negotiated contracts, bought the buildings, got the permits going, got the renderings drawn, uh, got the city council to approve it, um, got the construction crew together to actually do the work on it, uh, hired all the people that were necessary, made all the decisions, rounded up seven and a half million dollars in financing, and we'll move into that building, it'll take two years. That'll happen in two years time. Okay. And the primary reason, as I cited, was we were organizationally agile. Um, there were all these things that went on through there. Now, it doesn't mean that Tim had the freedom to do all of that. Tim had to check all of this stuff by the board. But we had a board that was organized in such a way that they could be organizationally agile. Right? And they were willing to be. So if I came home and I said, hey, I need your okay to seek a pre-qualification letter for this financing today. And we need it by the end of the day if we're going to buy the theater. Okay, we really do have to have it today because the Catholics from the seminary nearby were going to buy the building. And if we didn't have it by the end of the day, the guy was going to take a pass on us and go see to sell it to them. Well, then they had to be willing to give that the green light, understanding it doesn't commit us to taking out the loan, right? Um, but it meant that they had to all be available by proxy, which meant we were literally texting back and forth. And there are things in our bylaws that allow us to do that. Right? So we can actually vote without having to be face-to-face. -face. You should check your bylaws to make sure that they allow for that. Okay? Because if there's a decision that goes weird or wonky and anybody gets up in arms, the, the bottom line is whatever says, it says in your bylaws uh, is very important. That, that's what determines what actually governs your church. So if anything ends up in court, that's going to be very important. So uh, right now you're going, I don't know if we have bylaws. You do somewhere. Now, you may not have seen them in 50 years. I would encourage you to go back and look at them and get them up to date so that you can, you can do all that. We're a newer church, so our bylaws are all new, right? So we were able to pounce on those and to be able to, to make those kind of moves to where it's like, hey, if we, and, and that means that we choose to do business with people who are also quick so that we don't end up having to uh, miss out on opportunities because they didn't, uh, they couldn't move with any speed. Um, so that readiness, that, that willingness to be very, very agile, okay, is, is super important. Like we talked about hiring, when you're hiring somebody. Um, when, when uh, I just, uh, Baxter came in the room and I, I took me back to Dallas briefly in my head. A good example of that would be when I hired John Mulliken to come to, to Dallas. I had to be ready because I knew that if John walked out of there without an offer in his hand, we were going to lose him. So I had to be ready. I did all the groundwork ahead of time so that when we knew we wanted to hire him, I put an offer in his hand before he left town. And because of that, it changed the entire trajectory of the church. If he goes home and we lose out on that, that changes the entire history of the way that church reads going forward. So when you, when you hire, speed also matters. So before you decide, hey, we're going to hire the new youth minister, and so we're going to form a youth search committee, uh, and they're going to need to meet, and they're going to need to... Um, you know, uh, do all of this, and then after they make a recommendation, then it goes to the elders for their approval, and da da da. Right now, you're going, no, but isn't it important to have the congregation involved? Of course, it is. But the congregation is represented by the people that are on the board and on the other things, and they, they, at some point, the church has to move from being one large leadership in and of itself into being willing to trust leaders uh, with with the task of, of leadership, because the reality is. On a, on a complicated project like this one, you really, do you really want everybody to have a vote? Think about that. Um, there's a reason that even in America, you don't get to vote till you're 18, right? There's, there's a certain standard that's set that says, hey, uh, you don't want people placing membership so they can vote. Uh, those kind of weird things and wonky things that happen when that, when that gets going. 
but all of it is just saying for missional reasons we want to have a a church that is is very quick so that if there's a, a the only time i've ever seen real speed in churches of christ is um benevolence needs i've seen mm -hmm. the churches typically can move quickly on those because they think hey the person's in need and they need the money right now so they they find a way to release it quickly what i'm saying is you need to have the same kind of urgency about your overall mission so that things can move quickly okay um a heart of courage uh, risk is part of the course if you can't do risk you probably can't do opportunity uh, because very few opportunities come to you worth anything that don't require some risk. We're sitting on a campus that was built on risk. There was risk, 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 okay? Um, and there has to be a point where uh, the Bible would call it faith, right? You're willing to say, hey, we believe God's called us to this. We're not jumping out of a plane with no parachute, kind of crazy stuff. But we do believe if God's called us to this, then uh, he will see it through. And we're willing to go ahead and take that that on uh, as we go. Uh, we also talked uh, super quickly, uh, two quick things. Um, uh, going, uh, let me go back to the posture of readiness super quick. Financial readiness. And I promised him I would bring this up again today, so I'm going to do that in a second. But, but another is just the uh, opportunity lens, which is um, the idea of whenever you hit a bump, whenever your church has a crisis point or is not doing well, Take the time to think about the opportunities that are hidden inside of the problem. So, we used the example yesterday of a staff departure. Somebody leaves, it's not always bad. It can be bad, but it doesn't have to be exclusively bad. So, if the preacher leaves, if the youth minister leaves, if the worship guy leaves, or whatever, look at, okay, what opportunities does that provide? Well, we just say we have more money now because we're not paying anymore. Uh, we can hire somebody better than they were. Uh, we could retool the entire ministry because they had control of it and were over it and now they're not. So that provides us the opportunity to make some changes that would have been really hard to make with them still in that chair. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to restructure the way we do staffing. Uh, this is a way for us to be an opportunity for us to do X and Y and Z, right? Um, if you're an elder at a church and you had a youth minister, for instance, and I get, I'm only using it because the guy who was in here was talking about youth ministry yesterday, but... Um, if, if the youth minister, you know, takes off or whatever, it does offer you a chance to actually dialogue a little bit with the parents and say, hey, how have things actually been going for the last 10 years? You know, um, and to actually get in touch. Now, the point there, though, is not to say, so every gripe that you have about the guy that left, we're going to host that and, and spend our time, you know, uh, talking about how bad that person was or whatever. It's got to be viewed kind of toward the future. Um, financial readiness is about... Um, being uh, having enough financial liquidity that you can move quickly on opportunities that come to pass. So uh, I talked actually about how much California real estate is is in churches that are of small churches. Okay, Dave Schultz is in the room today very fortuitously. He knows very well that there are a lot of churches that are say 50 and under that have buildings into the millions of, of real estate and and have no clear concrete uh, prognosis for a bright future because they are usually if, if when you're at that size you're not getting along real well with each other you're kind of an extended family and so change gets all the harder in that little wing and when you can't change it's really hard you're going to keep doing what you've always done which means you're going to get the same results you've always gotten so it gets harder to make those kinds of changes and sometimes the best thing that you can do is actually to, if i were, if they said hey we're just helping on staying together say okay great you have a five million dollar building what if you sold it you kept a million dollars to do with what you saw fit you took the other four and and did x and y and z things with it could you make a bigger impact for the kingdom by doing that than you could by staying put and just kind of waiting until the last one of you has died off in the building um, this is something we're thinking about because ultimately we will be held accountable for what we do with the resources God has provided to us. Parable of the talents, right? So we want to be faithful with that. I, I also use, I mentioned that church uh, that I've, I've worked with in the past. They have about 100 people. They've got a, a free and clear building and six houses. Okay. And they got a half million dollars in the bank. So when you're in that kind of a spot and you still can't make any moves, because of the change forces around you, the forces of stability and homeostasis are that strong inside the organization that you just can't move. You know you have a problem. 
So having that, that, um, that nimbleness will become all the more important. Again, risk is part of the course, heart of courage, and then the will to finish. That's where we're going we're gonna to kind of start today. Uh, this gentleman here asked a question yesterday about what if you're, uh, basically, what if you're not the money guy? How do you help make these changes? My best advice to you would be to, in a non-triangulatory fashion, if you can get an elder that understands why you would want to take these steps uh, and, and kind of win them over one at a time, without being toxic, but you're going to have to persuade anyway. Now, if you are an elder or you are the finance guy or whatever, to help them understand uh, why it's not necessary to keep that kind of money in the bank and that it could be put to a lot better use if, if you were to do X and Y and Z with them, one option is you could come up with a little scenario or two. For instance, here's a couple of things we could do. If we did this, here's what we could do. Um, and do pick things that, that they are enthusiastic about so that they would go, really, you think we could do that? And, and take a look at those things. Most, um, I said yesterday that, that most churches kind of say, hey, we need six months expenses, which is kind of taken from personal finance. Um, it's kind of a model that says, hey, if you get fired, you may not find a job for another six months, that six months of expenses sitting in your bank account. Okay, well, you don't, nobody's gonna fire your church, all right? There's really not a reason to pick six months of expenses because that assumes a lot of different things. One is you have no offerings in six months' time. Uh, that means your entire church was, was I guess, blown to pieces or, or something, God forbid. But even if that happens, you have an insurance policy that will pay you back for it. So usually what happens is churches are massively over-resourced and they are massively paralyzed by the polity they've got and the ability to work their way out of those things. So, Seizing opportunities, financial agilities, uh, agility. Um, I'm going to give you three churches. Church A, Church B, Church C. Church A is 40 members. And they got 500K in the bank. They own their own building and some other properties. Okay. If you sat me down right now and said, Tim, can you give me any that fit that description? I could give you 10 and probably not even try very hard. Without pausing. I could just write boom, 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 boom. They own their buildings, and they own other property, and they are, say, 50 or other people, half a million in the bank. Church B, probably more like the churches in the room, 100 members or so, maybe 250 in the bank, they own their building. That's a very standard kind of acapella Church of Christ on the West Coast, um, and, and at 100, they are one of the bigger churches in their area. Okay. Church C, 300 members or so, 100K in the bank, and they own their building. Okay. Now, if you have those, those three churches, okay, 40, building plus property, half a million in the bank, church B, 100 members, 250 in the bank, and they own their building. Church C, 300 members, 100K, and they own their own building. Which of the three, if you had to put money on it, there were stocks and you had to buy one stock, which of the three would you pick as the one with the greatest likelihood of actually being able to grow into the future? Why? Because they have the resources out doing things and not all locked up somewhere. Okay, that's a variable that I didn't give you, but, but you're assuming it. Why? I'm assuming that, yeah. Why? Because they only have 100,000 in the bank. Okay. For the record, I would agree with you. Plus, they have more of a donor base. They've got, they've got more people, right? Which generally, when, you, when you're able to hang on at at least that size, that means you're doing a few things okay. Um, and if you're on the West Coast, 300 is a real big church of Christ, right? So, and if you have that, and you have 100K, and you needed to raise some money, you have, you're raising it off of 300 people instead of 100 or 40 or whatever. But, I have found that it would be easier for me to walk into a church of 300 people who own their own building and get them to sell their building than it would be to have a group that's 40 that's sitting in their own building and get them to sell theirs. Okay. You know how long it took to get our church of 400 to sell the building? An instant? Right. Why? Why is that? So? Why, why, why would the bigger the church, the easier to sell the building? What, what's the reason? Huh? They're 
one in. Okay, maybe. Uh, because you don't get big without organizational agility. Let me say that again. You don't get bigger unless you can move. Okay. I, I can tell you usually. Now, that's different if you're a church plant. That's different. I'm talking about established churches. Okay, a church of 300 people or whatever is usually, ironically, faster than a church of 40. Church of 40 got to be 40 because it can't move. Church of 300 can move very quickly. Uh, I've been in a church of 2,000 that can move very quickly. When you're committed to it, I have found, in my experience, the hardest church to get to move is the smallest one, whatever it is. So if you are in a small church, I don't want you to despair. That's not the point of the exercise. It's just to say that some people think that the reason that, that, that they, it's, it's counterintuitive. You would think that the bigger they are and the more assets they have, the harder it would be to get them to part with those. It's not. It's easier. They're quicker and there's a sense of, hey, we can do this. There's a confidence that, that I think of faith that says, hey, we can do this. This is not, you know, we're not down to the last nickel. Um, when, you, when you're out on the 20 or 30 or 40, okay, you think that death is near. So you're hanging on to everything you can. And the idea that you would give it away is extremely, extremely difficult to do. So as far as financial agility, let me encourage you to, um, to, to talk to your elders or if you are an elder in finance. In my experience, okay, this is, this is me, okay? Um, there are other people that have different opinions on this, although I would add that you're not going to find a lot of people that are actually in leadership in churches that are growing that would argue with this. You will find accountants that would argue with this. And you will find uh, bankers that will argue with this. And you will find elders that would argue with this. Most churches could probably operate fine on about two months worth of expenses. Okay, two, not six, two. Uh, and, and, and here's why. Uh, if, if you think about why you would hold six, uh, it's usually because you're hedging against some sort of catastrophic event or a prolonged period of decline. One of the things that not having a lot of money does in the bank, in the bank does for you, it makes you move. Right? If you lose your job and you've got a million dollars in the bank, how fast are you going to go look for the next thing? Not much, huh? <laughs> But if you lose your job, you have nothing in the bank, guess what? Guess who's checking the classifieds with great rapidity? Oh yeah, you're, you're wheeling and dealing, right? Uh, and keeping too much money in the bank makes you too lazy, in my experience. Most people, too, uh, when you have a lot of money in the bank and you put out your financials and they see you have that much money in the bank, they stop giving as much. Because they think that you're loaded. So, and you are loaded. Which is why they're like, okay, we're good. It's not a big deal. So when you get out and you have your missions offering, they're looking at see half a million dollars in the bank, you're trying to raise 25 or something for missions. Uh, they're not inspired to do that because you're sitting on half a million. Why don't you just write a check for it? Why are you asking me for more money? That's how they see it in their mind. The average Joe sitting in the pew thinks that way. So you either have to, and so if we can get past the idealism of, of trying to say, well, they should understand the kingdom importance of all this, and we're just doing that for a rainy day, and da 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 and think about how people actually feel and experience kind of the giving moment, um, that's something to, to just consider. Um, I wrote my, my D-Men project on uh, the spiritual formation of generosity in people. And so I studied a bunch of giving patterns. Um, and I, I, my own opinion is that churches that rely exclusively on offerings for revenue going forward are going to be in real trouble for a bunch of different reasons that I won't enumerate here. But that's one of the reasons why we started looking for opportunities like the one that we have. Uh, there was a, a financial mindset to this that while on the surface it looks very risky, it's actually far more secure than staying in the building we were in and continuing to do what we were doing. Okay, and I'm open to explain that to you here in a second. Um, on the generosity front, let me see. Um, if we got this, we didn't get this in here. So let, let me give you, let me give you um, four things on the execution side. We talked about realizing and recognizing. Let, the recognition was yesterday. That's these five things. Uh, let's move on to the, the seizing things. And I'm going to start with the will to finish. 
Nothing that you do, nothing that God gives your church to do is going to be easy. So give up that dream. It will be hard. Satan will impede you. Satan will attack you. Satan will get in your way. Critics will arise. Uh, he'll go after the families of the people that are leading things. He will attack the unity of the body. Um, and if you are not, if you don't have the will to see it through, okay, then the opportunities are not going to be there. Because God isn't going to give them to you. Or he'll give them to you and you'll fumble them. Because of just a lack of will to see that thing through. Here, here, here I'll give you an example. I, I gave you one yesterday. When we got into this, if I, if I had a dollar for every time somebody has told me, you can't do that, you won't do that, no way, stop, blah, 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 blah. Uh, whether they were inside the church or outside the church, we never would have gotten there. You can't because it's not done that way. You'll never be able to afford that. It's going to take a million dollars just to pull the asbestos out of that theater. It, well, it turns out it took 75000 to pull it out of both buildings, not just the theater. But most people, what they do is they hear that, and they just assume, oh, well, that, they're probably right, and fear begins to take over. And then they don't pursue it any further. Um, here's another way this looks like in church. You start to pursue a particular opportunity. Someone says, hey, if you do that, we're out of here. Well, that often, that right there usually ends whatever dream was about to happen. In the average church of Christ, in my experience, that right there, at the very least, it will slow it down dramatically. Okay? And, and so even if the elders get past it, it will take quite a while for that thing to pick any momentum back up. And usually then another, somebody else comes in and says, hey, I don't want to see that happen either. Now it's back slowed down again. That doesn't happen to your place? Okay. It had, most places I'm familiar with, that's where exactly what has happened over the years in my own, you know, 20 plus years of doing it and being in a lot of other churches in the country. So, um, counterintuitively, what this does is, it does several things. It protects us from one or two or three key families in the church being able to hold us hostage financially. Why? Because we will be in a situation where we will get more revenue from outside the church than we will have from inside the church. So if one family takes off, we're not tripping. If the church does fall in hard times and shrinks for a while, we'll be fine. We'll do a couple more shows in the theater. There we go. Right? Now that can make you lazy if you're not careful. So you have to kind of, we're not planning on hanging on to a lot of money. If revenue starts coming in quickly and it starts accumulating, first step is we're going to pay down the debt. Number two is uh, we'll give it out. We'll, we'll pass it out. We'll give it away. But we're not going to hoard money. Nor are we going to put ourselves in a position where our church is totally beholden to anybody in the church. Because then that person ultimately controls the mission. Uh, here's another thing uh, that this does. Just the sheer value of the properties. Okay, we sold our church building for three and a half million dollars. These buildings are going to be worth fifteen million when they're finished. Okay. Now, yeah, and so there's a price to be paid for that, but the revenue generated by the building will service the debt on the property. So we were basically making no debt payments before, and we're still not. No big deal. But the church will get a huge jump out of this, and so the giving from the jump that we get will all come into the church. Right? So if I told you today, hey, there's a possibility that you can make a move, it actually won't, won't cost you anything, but your church is likely to triple. Is that a high risk or is it a low risk move? And it's low risk. Now on the surface it looks high, right? Because there's all this movement and there's all these buildings and there's all this whatever, right? Okay, as I mentioned to you yesterday, we're on the front, of the front page of the newspaper all the time now. City Magazine, we're on the cover. Outreach Magazine, Christian Standard. We're in the definitive history of our city is being written right now. We have a page inside that book dedicated to just this project. Okay. You could give me 10 years of ministry. I couldn't find a way to get that kind of publicity for the church. Right? I mean, I could, I could, have, I could have brought in clowns and balloons. I could have, you know, I could have, <laughs> I could have cured cancer and I could have gotten that much media coverage for anything else that we've done. 
So it puts a good name on the church, which leads me to this, uh, to this first one. Okay, if you're taking notes, uh, I don't have a slide for this because we didn't think we were going to have media today. So I didn't, I didn't put a slide together. Be generous. If you want, I, this is a biblical principle here is you reap what you sow. And I will say be generous particularly to outsiders. Uh, there is a reason why in the elder qualification list there is, has a good reputation with outsiders. It's one of those things that gets blown past all the time. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. And here's why. When it comes to opportunity, when you build strong relationships with people outside the church walls, you don't just have access to your church's opportunities, you get access to theirs as well. So, I'll give you an example. There was an upstart theater company in our town called Star Repertory Theater. And uh, they came to our church at, looking for space. They were just wanting places to have rehearsals. Okay? And so they came in. Now, here's how would that normally have been done? They're not Christian, they're just good old pagan theater people. All right? <laughs> um, they came in and they wanted space. All right? So, what would a church normally do in that situation? Help me out. At your church, what, how would that have been handled? Probably know if they're not Christian. Yeah. Because you don't know what they're going to do in there. That would be one. Another would be, uh, what about the liability? What about the liability? And what if some kid comes in and gets hurt? What if somebody does? Like, we don't know these people. Or they would say, yeah, you can use it for $500 a week. Okay. In my experience, you will do better by just simply saying yes. And in our case, we charge them nothing. Zero. Liability, we had to make sure they had insurance, right? But we just simply said, you know what, when you do have people in here, things are going to go wrong. The board had to be willing to say, you understand something could go weird in here, right? But I mean, it's, it's a kid's theater company. It can only get so racy. <laughs> um, so we let it in. And they used our building for a couple of years. And I think they paid us 50 bucks like two or three times just to pass. Okay, they ended up taking off. Okay, and down the road, now when I show you the video of the city council vote at the end uh, of today's class, you're going to hear a guy get up from that group. And he's going to talk about, look, I'm Jewish. I don't go to church. I'm not a part of the church. But I will tell you about these people. And he goes on a rant about our church. Saying all sorts of good things. And now guess that we're in the theater. Guess who wants to do all of their shows in the theater? <laughs> that theater group. Okay. And it's not going to be free this time. <laughs> <laughs> I told them that. I said, you know, it's not going to be free this time, my man. Uh, we got to pay this loan off first. But, um, you know, it, it was, there's great rapport there. And they've become some of the biggest champions of that, uh, of what we did. Okay. We were already friends with the business owners in the area, so we got no opposition from them. True story. There's an art gallery that has a lot of nude art in it that's right next to the theater. Okay. So you can imagine people showing up for church in the window. There's some woman's boobs hanging out of the window, and they're walking by going, oh, you know, covering their kids' eyes walking by. They'll figure out how to take the other way around. But there, there's this museum. When she found out who was going in next door, oh, somebody bought the riff? Who? a church that was a that was a big no so she started going crazy in the office she's ranting to her uh, colleagues there in the office the, one, the front desk worker in the office here's the argument because what are you guys arguing about oh there's a church moving in next door oh which church New Vance Church oh New Vance they're awesome <laughs> you're going to love them Anyway, so it, then it turns into this entire reversal at that point, right? And the reason was we had formed relationships with outsiders before we even knew this was going to happen. So this was not a utilitarian thing. We didn't do it because we knew someday we would be in that spot. We had no idea we'd be in that spot. But it's about being, being generous, and it was because her daughter and my daughter became friends and it's in theater. Guess where? In the theater company that was using our building. 
right? So you have these kind of weird ways that God, if you can trust, if you can just build the relationship and wait for God to catalyze it, however he sees fit. You're not doing it to get something out of it. It's not that. It's going in with the heart of a person who says, I'm going to be a friend of sinners like Jesus was as best I can. And I'm going to err on the side of uh, generosity toward them. Now, you know who did pay when they used our building? Other churches. Now that's backward, right? How can you charge a brother? Not because we wanted to be generous to outsiders. Right? Now we didn't bankrupt them or anything. It wasn't like we were, you know, charging them whatever. We, we had two other churches actually that used the building other than us. Um, that leased from us. Uh, the Escondido Creek Conservancy. We found out that there was a, a, a piece of the, of the creek that wasn't being cleaned and that drove them crazy. Okay, these are like very uh, left-wing environmental types. Okay? We said, you know what, we'll take it. We'll clean that piece of dirt. Okay? So we've done that once a month for the last, I don't know, 18 months. Guess what? Guess who wants to have their offices in that complex now? Right? We didn't know that we were going to, we, we, we knew that we were going to be heading down to Grant at that point when we started building that relationship with them. We had no idea that they would want to rent their office space from us. So picture this. You could, in theory, have a place where you have this environmental group, the church, this theater group, and coffee house, all this, only under one roof, right, operating together in a way that, that is going to get weird at some point, but in the meantime, Think about what you've done. How in the world could you otherwise have been able to get that close to people who are far from God? And I wish I could take credit for that. We had no idea it was going to happen that way either. All we did was try to build a relationship with non-Christians that had integrity. And uh, those relationships had integrity. And then wait for God to catalyze um, so, again, biblical principle is you reap what you sow. Next, keep talking. If you're ever in a, really, in a, in a discussion with somebody and you're, uh, things are starting to get stale, if you're negotiating, like I, I mentioned yesterday, the uh, Austin Street uh, Church of Christ deal where they sold and gave us their assets and we used them, uh, we ended up starting a Spanish-speaking church planning network with that money. Um, uh, there were times in there where that started to freeze, start, you know, you hit an impasse or something. One of the rules that I've tried to go with is just, just keep talking. Don't let the thing die. And that goes, by the way, if you're trying to convince your elders of something or you're trying to do whatever. Every time that you sit, the only thing that guarantees that, there will, that, that whatever opportunity that was will never happen is when you stop talking about it. <laughs> that guarantees it's over, okay? Uh, and there have been a lot of times, and here's why that matters. Sometimes you do hit those things, but when you continue to talk, what's happening? Building relationships, right? You're, you're building trust, you're talking, you get to know each other better. And eventually, some of those things that held you back, the reason they wouldn't give you that next little thing, is because they didn't trust you, they didn't know you. Now they feel like they know you because you get, they get together once a month for a year. You've built a lot more relational fiber and tissue, so a lot of times those things will dislodge and the next thing you know, hey, you just, it just went right through. Um, and, and so that goes with, you know, whoever you're trying to convince, um, you know, of uh, 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 anything or you're trying to look at an opportunity and, hey, can we partner together? When you hit those things, um, talking just builds relationships. Relationships build trust and break down walls. Okay. Another one I mentioned this yesterday, show up and stay until the end. Here's why. I remember being a student here. I got a call from Jerry Rushford one morning. He said, Fred Craddock, anybody know that name? Fred Craddock is the prince. He's like the leading teacher of preaching of the last 50 years. He was going to have him on campus for a, 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 to give a lecture. And he said, hey, I'm organizing a breakfast for anybody who wants to come here, Fred Craddock, uh, and just have breakfast with him. Up at the, it was up at one of the houses up on the big pad up there. So it was at one of the administrator's houses. Uh, would you like to come? And of course I was like, yeah, I'd like to come. And you know what happened? I was the only guy there. And I got to have breakfast with Fred Craddock by myself. And do you think I sat there and go, hey, it's been great, Fred. I'm going to take off because I'm going to go surfing. 
Nope, the estate will be in. And you guess what happens, right? People remember those kinds of things. Who else remembers that? Jerry Rusher. Because he would have had egg on his face if nobody had shown up on him, right? Just showing up and stay to the end. Because if you're there at the end, they remember you. If you're there at the beginning, they rarely remember you. If you're there at the end, they do. So when you're in a deal like that, there was a most embarrassing moment of my entire, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say this on recording actually, of, of, uh, of, of my preaching career. I was at a, a lecture program at another place. And I was given the largest venue in the entire, uh, on the, in the entire lecture program. But I was given a topic that was very, it was a prescribed topic, and it was not in my favorite wheelhouse, right? And it was not a good title. I just, I didn't like it, but that was what they gave me, right? And it's like, hey, they gave me the big floor, so I'll go ahead and take that. And I did it. I think we had 10 people in there. And it was like a three-day deal, right? So there's no, so, so one day it's like, hey, no harm, no foul. Let's all pretend it never happened. We'll move on, right? Uh, but when it's three days, you're stuck. I mean, you're just, this is going to be a long three-day deal. And it's a huge environment. Picture, you know, like the same number of people in, in like, not quite as big as Firestone Fieldhouse, but something like that. Okay. I mean, just a big, big, big. Um, I remember who was there. You, you go, so when you go to these things, and when you're really trying to ingratiate yourself to somebody because you think God might be up to something in a relationship, if they invite you to go to something, go. Even if it's not a big, big deal. Um, and if you show up and it looks like a dud, even more so, go and stay to the end. Okay? I have experienced the blessing of that, I don't know how many times. Because the worst case scenario, even if anything didn't come from it, you're going to have a, a new friend, and they're going to be very grateful to you that you were there, and that you saw that they're going to trust you because they know how, what that must have been like for you when you stayed at the end. They're going to remember that. Okay, so even if even if nothing ever happens out of that, the worst case scenario, you made a good friend. Whatever you were going to do, if you left 30 minutes before, you're not going to remember what you did then anyway. But they'll remember that. If you leave early when you're the only one there, they're sure as they can remember that. And you actually turn what could have been a plus into a minus. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so I want to play something for you here. Um, and I'm going to pause it at strategic spots and explain who these people are. Um, this is, hold on. This might be. Um, this is going to be the, this is five minutes long. It's the, uh, it's a highlight reel from the city council meeting. And I'm going to give you two or three little pieces of info as you watch this. This happens to, the election has happened. And there's a big council turnover coming in this wave. So this is the last meeting for the mayor uh, and uh, two others that are on the council. It's going from a 4-1 conservative majority to a 3-2 democratic majority, including the mayor uh, replacement in a very close election, very close. So it was one of those where it was neck and neck, and then afterwards the absentee ballots came in and one guy beat the other. Big upset. Okay, so this is the night, it's the last vote these guys will ever have in their life. Everybody who's on the council. You'll see a uh, female on there, her name's Olga Diaz, she's the councilwoman for our district, who is a, a very uh, anti-development council person. Okay, she ended up voting for it too. Uh, you will see a woman get up who's going to talk about how uh, the realtor in the, in the situation who came to church just to try to get our business, okay, she's not a Christian, and ended up becoming not just a part of the project, ended up coming to the Lord and now attends our church, okay, and she's going to talk about that on the, on the screen. You'll see Scott, the guy who directs the theater group that I talked about. You'll see a lady by the name of Rory, uh, who's the head of the Chamber of Commerce. She's also not a Christian, but she's there endorsing the project. Um, you'll see a young lady get up, uh, one of our teens, uh, who has kind of come to the Lord at our church. She's now the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at her high school. She's up talking about it. And what I want you to see in the back, now you also know the council chamber is pretty full. So you're going to see like an empty row in front, but you should know behind it, there's a lot of people out there. All right. Um, and what you're about to see is a highlight reel where um, that, that captures a very small piece 
of uh, what was a line of people waiting to get to the microphone so that they could talk. Okay, so let's see if it'll play. service as mayor. 
That's the old donation. So your donation of the extension there was that one of the councilmen uh, had to abstain because this firm had done some of the initial civil engineering work on the project. But it was unanimous. And I want you to hear, did you notice how many time, how much time uh, faith had come up? Now here's the irony, which you don't see. It's the guy right before we came up, for the motion right before it. You remember that guy, DJ? Oh my. And this guy gets up and he's got like full mullet. He's he is mad because there, it was about it had to do with raising the rates in the in the trailer park he was in. He gets up. He has a sign that says "Mad as Hell" on it, and he flips it toward the the council, so they have to look at it all the time. And he spends he has twelve minutes. He just screams at him for twelve solid minutes. Okay, so he just did berates him for twelve solid minutes, and then he finally his time runs out. Just sit him down. Now, when that was going on, I kind of go, God's going to do this. And, I, and I, I go, could you more clearly juxtapose the two things? you got one guy here who's clearly, I hope not a Christian, doing what he was doing. And then our kind of like this, this group of nice people trying to do something good in the community. It was this kind of interesting juxtaposition. And it was broadcast to the community on television, right? So what I'm saying is, I was just, I, earlier today, I, I uh, at lunch with a friend who just finished uh, what he thinks is the largest data uh, gather of churches of Christ that's ever been done. What percentage of people in churches of Christ do you think have come to Christ in the last five years? Two percent. According to him. Two percent. And he said that he thought a good chunk of those were people... Uh, that were like say junior high kids that had gone to high school, got baptized in high school, kind of thing. And I, I guess what I'm trying to do is make an appeal to you guys. Let's do better. Let's try to do better. And the way we do that is by taking a look for the opportunities that are around us. Okay, and trying to surface those and then God blesses us with them, uh, doing what we can to kind of see those through. I mean, look, we're another seven months before that thing is finished. Uh, probably another eight from the time the other building opens. And, it, and it'll be really messy when it gets in there. But if somebody, some church is going to have to start taking leaps forward. Well, maybe it's you guys, right? Maybe it's you guys. So uh, I got time for like a question or two, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Right, thank you guys for Anything from the cozy corner over there? Nothing from Fairfax. All right. Anything else? Let me offer a quick prayer. We'll be done in the name of my Heavenly Father, for these folks that give you thanks, pour out your blessings on this church. Uh, we love you, Lord. Uh, we're thankful for um, the opportunities that you provide us every single day. Uh, we love you and worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. And whoever's next, I know this. <laughs>